adventurers, this is MuseCast 14, your podcast for everything roleplay in the world of Eorzea. I'm your co-host, Emmy, And I'm your co-host, Remix Sakura. And pardon me, the perhaps shakiness of my voice, I'm hoping I come across pretty normal. I am still recovering from a cold, but this is the third Aww. time we're recording this episode. Yeah, this is the third time we've we've had... A lot of delays in producing this episode, so we're really glad to get this out. Anyway, all that aside, today's episode is a little bit interesting, a little bit different than a lot of the episodes that we've made in the past. Sometimes we come across episodes where they just pop into our heads out of nowhere. For example, the episodes based on the city-states of Eorzea or roleplay events, things like that. But this episode is a little bit different because this particular episode was inspired by an event that happened while we were in-game, really while I was in-game. And because of the events that happened there, we thought, well, this sort of topic would make a really, really good idea for an episode. So we kind of fast-tracked it. Here we are. Today we're going to talk about open-world roleplay events. Yes, that's those events which take place in open-world areas, such as cities, instance zones... Any place where people gather outside of the housing areas. Yeah, because a lot of the time when people think of events, one of the first questions they ask is, okay, where should I have this event? And sometimes, especially for role players, housing areas just aren't enough. Sometimes they're trying to create a certain type of feeling, some kind of ambience. And a housing development like the Goblet or like the Mist, Shirogane, it just doesn't seem to cut it. And in those cases, we see examples of roleplay events that happen out in the open where a lot of other players happen to be playing. Now, for some role players, I think this might seem like a very liberating idea. The idea of being able to go wherever you would like wherever to go. Wherever really makes sense for the event to happen. Right. But what I found was, as I was attending an event that was going on in the open world, the feedback was a lot more mixed. So today we'd like to take a look at that event, kind of do a case study of sorts, see what happened during the event, what went well, where things could have been improved, and take a look at what this means for open world events, and maybe the dynamic between role players and people who don't happen to be role playing as they spend their time in Eorzea. For sure, and I think that open world events are getting more popular. You see them a lot on the bigger servers. So you could call this, like, growing pains? Yeah, you might call them growing pains. I mean, events on data centers where there are a lot of people all at once definitely draw a lot of attention to themselves. And if we look at whether or not these large open-world events are actually doable, I think as these events scale, it just provides a good amount of, of publicity and, and of really feedback from the player and community. And atmosphere. An immersion, yeah. depending on what kind of story you're trying to tell that night. Right. So ultimately, the question that we'd like to ask today are, are these events doable? And if they are doable, can we try to do them in a way that ideally eliminates any sort of negative feedback whatsoever from any sort of player? Well, I don't know about eliminating any bad feedback, but... Open world. Well, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. <laughs> I mean, the fact is that open world events currently happen, and they happen a lot. They do. Actually, if you 
scale it down, not even large role play events that are in the open world. There are actually examples of role players who take part in small individual threads out in the open world. And in those cases, from what I've seen, you don't really see a whole lot of feedback around those threads. Those sorts of threads, similar to your large events, use the environments of the game rather than, for example, a Tumblr thread or just keeping it in the housing area. And what results is you have this sense of visual immersion that adds to the overall setting that this thread is going on in, and it gives people a new atmosphere for them to be able to explore the world. And those sorts of threads and interactions have generally been met with either support from the roleplay community or from outsiders. Most people I've found don't tend to notice them all that much because either it's done in party chat or if it's done in say chat, it's just two people. You know, what could go wrong? It's, it's only two people. It's not as though you have a ton of people running around and interacting. Well, what in happens area. when people do gather? Well, I know that one of the most popular types of events that happens on all kinds of servers are fight nights. And on Balmung, there are some famous ones like the Grindstone. There's also the Runestone and the Spellstone, which are offshoots of that. These are very popular, well-attended combat well, combat for sport. Let's say sparring events. Yeah, it's it's a sparring event, but the difference between that and I think your everyday fight night is that those events take place out of doors. They take place in, I believe, Ulda for the most like part. Like just outside of Ulda. Yeah, and so, and so generally I think those have kind of integrated themselves into the culture of, in this case, the Baomeng server. It's become a regular event. Well, at the event. same time, they're hardly noticeable because they're hardly disturbing anybody. They're going into a low population area and they can use say and yell all they want. And they're not going to bump up against hardly anybody unless someone happens to be running a quest through there. It just doesn't affect anybody's gameplay at all. Right. And I think because it's a regular sort of event, that might also have something to do with the fact that like you don't really ever hear people shouting or like protesting against those sorts of events just because it's like this is and it doesn't make sense for them to be outside if you're you know throwing kicks around throwing spells around you don't want civilians to get hurt you don't want buildings to get blown up yeah that's true especially with the magic events so okay we have these small scale role play threads we have some larger scale events that have proven to have worked on Baomeng before. But let's take a look at the event that kind of sparked this entire episode itself. Because this one, I think, was met with a little bit more of a mixed reaction Well, here. basically, something different happens when you take a large crowd of people and put them into a crowded area. Yeah, and this was the case in this particular event. It was a Little Ladies' Day event that happened on Baomeng. And in this case, it was back in March... And it was supposed to be this large-scale role-play event, kind of a performance-based event. And instead of having it on the outskirts of a town or just outside of Ulda, it was in Ulda itself. Now, Ulda on Baomeng is a little bit different because it's almost in a way like Limsa Liminsa in a lot of other servers, where that's where your shout chat goes on a lot. There's a lot of interaction going on. And of course, on Baomeng, you know, who could forget the quicksand? There's just a lot of roleplay, both in the quicksand, outside the quicksand. It's just this giant hub of roleplay. Roleplay and idle chit-chat. 
Yeah, and Idle Chit Chat. It's a big hub for really all sorts of players, including even though Baomong is supposed to be like this big role play server, there are a lot of players who just go there just to chat. It's these players who don't role play on an everyday basis who come out to Uldaw just because they can talk and people will hear. Now, the good part about this, I think, for the event organizers was that in this case, because they wanted to have a parade and they wanted to have a big performance, there would be a big audience who would be able to take part and also spectate in watching these performances, watching the parade. You know, who knows who would want to join And also, in. for Little Ladies' Day, the entire town is decorated. I mean, lore-wise, the event is tied to Ulda. You have this big stage. Yeah, you've got that stage near the Ruby Road. It's practically asking for someone to come perform on it. So what would be a better place? So the event was set to start, and it started off pretty much without a hitch. The parade went very well, but as soon as people got onto the stage, and in this case, I was actually acting as MC, so um, as soon as I started running some of my macros and doing yell, and then the performers came up on stage and started performing, instantly yell chat and shout chat lit up with commentary from all these other people. And for the role players involved, it seemed like it was a very, very well-done event. People were enjoying it. But for people who were on the outside, it was a little bit more Well, mixed. to put it lightly. Yeah, to, to put it lightly. So I think what would be a good idea for, for us to do today is kind of take a look at some of the objections that came up during the event, and we can kind of chat about them. Talk about, you know, what the good part is and, and how all these objections relate to hosting open world events, and, and just kind of things to consider when you're running one. And I think ultimately we'll learn, was the event really a success? So let's investigate. Now, at this event, you were acting as an MC, Right. So it was my job to announce all of the performers as they came onto the stage, and there was a set order for all and of them. And for most things, you were using yell chat and occasionally shout chat. Well, for the most part, all of the event announcements were being done in yell chat. In fact, the organizers decided that they would leave the shout chat open because that would then allow all the people who normally would just chat in shout chat to continue to doing continue so. To continue their idle chit-chatter. Exactly. Now, that said, despite leaving the chat channel open, I think some people might have thought that the event essentially was having roleplay pushed on them. It's a little bit strange because options were attempted to be given that would let people be able to hide roleplay that was going on. For example, on. just mute the yell channel. Exactly. So people could continue to chat and shout where a lot of the idle conversation normally would go on. The hope was it would just be business as usual for everybody else. And if people didn't like all that was going on in yell chat, then it could simply be muted. But despite that, I think some people really wanted to keep yell chat open but they didn't want yell chat to have all these role players going on well, in there's it. a lot that goes on to be fair at these kinds of performance events not just event announcements but when you have a dance you're shouting the lyrics to the song and sometimes that can get a little bit repetitive they've got long performance macros right now some snap reactions i think would say okay well go find another server or go to another area where people aren't using yell chat. 
You know, there are all sorts of other areas where it would be a little bit quieter. But I think at the same time, if we're looking at it from the perspective of perhaps somebody who doesn't want to roleplay and is just on Baomeng for elements of the culture, for elements of the economy, because they have played with friends there for a while, I think as servers grow and as roleplay becomes more public, these comments increase. And we've kind of seen that on servers like Mateus, where complaints have come about about housing because a lot of role players migrated from Baomeng over to Mateus. Honestly, when I heard this story, I was frankly shocked that this happened on Baomeng. It should be, on a server like that, a daily, common, run-of-the-mill occurrence to have open-world RP events. Right. This isn't a Mateus. Baomeng has long been the official, unofficial roleplay server, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, there should have been nothing strange about this and and certainly nothing to complain about, yet people still complained. Yeah, I think if you're thinking of it from a roleplay perspective, like Baomeng is very different from other servers, such as maybe Gilgamesh or such as some of the Aether or the Primal Data Center servers. And so some would argue role players are just here to enjoy the game. They're here to stay, especially on servers like Baomeng. So why should people who don't roleplay say, hey, you can't use Uldah for the event because we don't want you to be but here. Uldah is a public place. Why is it that some people are trying to police what you can can't use a public space for? That's very true. If we're true. in a public park and one person is sitting on the bench talking to a friend and suddenly a performer starts playing music over in the corner, should the people that were chatting get angry at the performer? I mean, the people who were chatting might get a little bit angry. They could go somewhere else. But on the other hand, imagine that this is taking place in a busy city, and you bought an apartment in a place in the city that seems pretty darn quiet. All of a sudden, a performer comes down underneath where your apartment is and starts playing music. If you've been there all that time, and if you were under the assumption that it would be a pretty quiet place to be, do you then have the right to complain about the musician who is now under there and making it's a racket? It's a good metaphor, but did anyone ever really think Olda was going to be quiet? Yeah, that's true. It is. It's Olda <laughs> on Baomeng. And I imagine, I imagine if something like this were to happen on Limza on a lot of other servers, maybe you'd end up with something very I understand similar. that there are certain places... That people hang out, quote unquote, in the game. Limza, Ulda, Rogers Reach, Mordona back in the day, Idleshire. But they're doing just that, just hanging out. They're not actually playing the game, and having an open world RP event in that space is not interfering with their gameplay. It's interfering with their idle chit chat, which is maybe not so much of a crime. And going back to the example of the public park, I think the two people should be able to exist in a public space while doing different things. It's a shared I space. I agree. It's kind of a shame that when role players have generally been tolerant of other people doing idle chit-chat and not being in character, that there are complaints about roleplay events too. Why not be able to enjoy both things yeah, at like once? Yeah, like how dare we interrupt your sitting around and bullshitting. Uh, mm -hmm. That's just my opinion. I can see some I'm just very in opinionated. That. So, hey, why don't we come up with some ideas of what people could do in order to try and make that happen, in order to have both groups enjoy things? One objection that I had heard and one suggestion that was made 
was the role player should use say chat instead for the event. It's an interesting idea, I think, to consider, but I think it's honestly one we can shoot down pretty darn quickly. The first thing that I find with say chat that makes it a little bit hard to run an event with entirely is that it only has a limited radius. These sorts of chat channels, say chat, party chat, it's usually used for more personal threads in roleplay culture. I totally agree. And I've seen this many times. People in the same event, in the same room, in the same venue, cannot hear each other's say conversations across the room. Same thing for emotes. The range is pretty darn limited. And the last thing you want in an event is siloed conversations. You want everybody to mix and mingle maximally. Right. You want to create a space where anybody can interact with anybody. And so it's a good idea to be able to have personal conversations. But for the event things themselves, usually yell chat is used because a lot of people can hear it. And it doesn't carry through the entire area either. Now, it's still pretty loud, but those are just the options we have right now. It's either say chat, which is very limited, yell chat, which is still pretty big, and it spans a lot of an area, or shout chat, where you can guarantee that everybody there is going to be able well, to hear Well, from the event it. organizer's perspective, sometimes they have to, so to speak, speak up over the crowd because they have to make announcements about the event. The event is starting, such and such is going on stage, such and such giveaway and prizes are happening. Think of it as almost like a microphone for the people on the stage. And that way, the people who are attending can then distinguish, okay, well, what's your personal conversation versus what is your official event announcement? Which is important, critical information that you need to know. Right. And it's also a very good guideline for what people are able to share with one another, too. Because now you have this very defined line of, okay, everybody attending this event is supposed to hear Yeah, this. going back to our chat about privacy. Right. So I think everything that we've said about Yell Chat, and as we've mentioned before, the idea that the organizers were trying to keep Shout Chat open for everybody and give people an option to either be able to mute the roleplay or use another channel for their personal conversation even if they wanted everybody to hear it. I think that was the best thing the organizers really could have done in this situation. Yeah, like have people mute yell chat. Yeah. Now here's another idea. What if people used a link shell in order to run the well, event? Well, <laughs> I hope that people have a link shell slot open because most people I know are maxed out at eight. I definitely am. And here's the other thing. Link shells have a cap on the number of people that can be in them, which I believe is mm -hmm. which I believe is 128. And we've definitely been to events that have exceeded that number by a lot. Not to mention the logistical hassle of constantly adding and removing people as they come and go. Exactly. You're trying to free up space. And I think this idea of adapting to a cap would be increasingly a problem on the bigger data centers like Crystal. On smaller data centers where the events may not be quite so big, it may be a little bit easier to adapt but I think recently what we've seen as a link shell purpose is more internal conversation for event staff. For sure. Depending on the complexity of the event, the staff may need to communicate out of character the different logistics, who's moving where. That's mostly what I've seen it used for. I've honestly never seen a link shell used for an event. But on the other hand, if you really don't expect to have more than 128 people and you're willing to add and remove people as they go... 
it could be a it could be a potential option for the smaller servers. It could be kind of like a silent flash mob is what I would imagine it being like, where everybody kind of has headphones on and they're all dancing, but nobody outside of it can see. And that way, that way, everybody in the link shell is able to hear the announcements and able to have conversation in channels like, say, if they wanted yeah, so to. So link shells are a maybe it depends kind of thing. Yeah, I haven't seen it ever used, but it's it's an interesting thing to consider. So continuing on the chat channel trend, and I, this is going to be the last chat related item that I think we're going to talk about on this episode. Some people have said that the event itself was spamming a chat channel. It's spamming the Yell chat channel, and the macros were pretty annoying. Now, honestly, I get it. I get it. It's a performance event. There are lots of people singing, and they're all going around, you know, just spouting out the lyrics of the song that they're performing. From an outsider's perspective, it really looks like they're spamming a chat channel. Imagine somebody who just comes up to you and starts spamming Say Chat with the lyrics of their favorite song, out of character, let's say, for example, and they refuse to stop until they're done. But not only that, they may have multiple songs that they <laughs> really want to go through. So that sort of thing from an outsider's perspective is very, very annoying. So I can see how this is a legitimate concern. And these performance events can go on for hours. Right. So it's it's not one song. It's not two songs. You know, it can be 10 songs, 20 songs. It's it's very, very long. And it's it may seem annoying to outsiders. But the thing is, for role players themselves, they may see it as something entertaining. It's a musical event. They get to listen to the music. They get to see the characters put on whatever performances they have to be. And then they get to go ahead and carry out their own conversations to build their own character. That sounds like a good time. Yeah, who's to say that people passing by can't notice the event and be like, oh, this is cool. There's probably more of those people than there are people complaining about it. Right. Well, that may be the case on Baomong, for example. But on other servers, maybe that won't be the case. If it's a small group of people taking part in this event, if it's a small group of people who are so-called spamming the chat channels, what determines who is spamming? Is it considered spamming in that the case? mob mentality? The number of people complaining? Yeah, does the number of people complaining determine what's spamming and what isn't? It's something to think about, and maybe it's also decided by location. You know, if it's somewhere like Ulda, as we've seen, there has been some complaints about these sorts of events. But in places that aren't hubs, like for the runestone, grindstone, spellstone, you don't see that. So location may also have something to do with it. Nobody complained at Blitzball. That's also true. <laughs> In the Ruby Sea, as we were attending a Blitzball tournament, another type of open world roleplay event that's going on on Baomong right now, we didn't see anybody complaining. In fact, the only people who used shout chat and yell chat were people who were asking, oh, where's this Blitzball tournament? I really want to see. So I think this one is a little bit more subjective and something that organizers really need to use their better judgment with in terms of deciding is a place really ideal to roleplay well, in. We wouldn't have any of these problems if we just took all our RP to the housing areas, right? And that's what people said, too. Just take it over to the housing areas. Which is true. It's valid. You wouldn't have people complaining. But at the same time, why gatekeep what areas you can and you can't use? It's public space, after all. It's an MMORPG, massively multiplayer. And so in these public spaces, why not use them for events? Right, they're there for everybody. 
by the same token, I would argue, okay, well, you can't have these safe for work events that are going on in the open world, but why have explicit role play going on right around the corner in the quicksand? There's a concept that Remix and I, I think, think about where, you know, in good etiquette, you should keep your ERP private. But here, people can see, even though a lot of the text may be kept in party chat, I've received tells from people who were in Ulda who were engaging in ERP, and it was a little bit off-putting. I understood completely that it was a mistell in this case, but why have it in open world when you have the chance of that getting out? Basically, you know, why is this allowed, but open world events are not? Basically, if no one's policing the quicksand, why is someone policing Little, little Ladies Day? Exactly. It's such like, it's a, it's an innocent, well-intended event. That's totally safer work. Now, there are a lot of things that seem ideal about holding events in housing areas, but as the data centers have merged, the number of attendees at any given event has increased so exponentially that holding an event inside a house is a serious problem because there's a limit of about 100 people that can enter a house. Now, I want to tell a story about an RP event we streamed at the Lucky Sparrow, a big cabaret event, and it was in the first week that World Visit came out. It was on Balmung, but you, of course, had people from all over Crystal Data Center who were really hyped to be able to visit Balmung. And this event must have had at least 150 to 200 people, if not more. We know this for sure because very, very quickly, we hit the limit on the number of people that could enter the house. People were still arriving and they were getting kicked out of the house because the house was at its limit. Now, they had decorated the inside with the stage, everything to prepare for the performance, all of that went out the window because we physically could not have the event in the house. So they adapted and moved it outside. That still created a problem for some attendees because unless you could get close to the stage, sometimes the character models of the performers wouldn't even load. Like you couldn't watch the show unless you were right up against the stage. You could not watch the show. There was no show. It wouldn't load because there's a limited amount of things that can load around you. And <laughs> and it was funny because we were streaming it and we let the organizers know. And we had a number of people come on the stream and be like, thank you so much for streaming this. I can't see the stage. They're there at the event and they can't see the stage because of the, sh the sheer number of people. I imagine even on data centers where the role play population is not as prevalent, because you have all these people who are able to come together, and also because there are fewer events on these data centers, we may experience the same problem on these data centers. I mean, that's not to say that the same problem may not have happened in public area, but, but it just goes to show you that houses really, really quickly reach their limits on these big servers. Yeah. Housing areas now may not be quite as suitable as they used to be just because of the ability for people to visit from other yeah, worlds. Yeah, you can quickly, like, once you exceed 100 people, like, you're done. And mm -hmm. having it outside in the yard, still kind of semi-public, not as public. But there are also spaces within the housing wards that are ideal for events. For example, every housing ward has a swimming area. What if you want to have a party down by the lake, in the lavender beds, or in the fountains, in the goblet, or on the beach? Right. For these, the housing areas may be still a good choice. So I don't think that housing areas are completely out of the question. And I think a lot of events are going to continue to happen in the housing areas. 
But for some of these events, just because they want to get a certain atmosphere, those outdoor areas still aren't going to suit it. If you're limited to only, for example, the Goblet Pool, or the Mist Beach, or Gridania and its little river going on, for things that aren't that, for things that aren't supposed to take place in environments like that, well, they're going to have to look elsewhere. I also think that because the housing zones are separated by ward, and any given gathering is just going to have to take place in a single ward, you're not going to have that passers-by effect that you get in the cities where people chance upon the event and end up joining in. And so that makes it, I think, a little bit more more of a setup idea, more of a pre-planned event. And so if you're trying to get really that organic public feel, if you're trying to have something that takes place in what's supposed to be a public setting, well, you just don't have that in a housing ward. Now, the final objection, I almost can't believe that anyone would say this. <laughs> Honestly, I'm a little bit angry at this. I kind of understand where they're coming from, but like, but it's like, wrong. Well, no. <laughs> you can, you can, you can have your wrong opinion. <laughs> anyway, so the objection, the final objection we'll talk about here is that open world performance events are not role well, play. What? We'll just, we'll sit on that for a moment here. Open world performance events are not role play. <laughs> to that, I'll respond with, okay, imagine for a moment. In character, out of character, doesn't matter. Imagine you are at a bar or you're at a nightclub and you're enjoying some kind of drinks with friends or somebody you're interested in maybe. And as you converse, you enjoy the songs that are performed by a DJ or by a musician. That sounds like a real life situation, it's like, I think. like, gee, I wonder if a role play scenario has ever taken place in a tavern where people are drinking together and there's a bard playing music. Hmm. Yeah, never heard of it. Never. <laughs> like. Never heard of it. <laughs> anyway, so it just goes to show that I think the music, the performance that's going on in the background, it just adds another aspect, another part of the backdrop to a setting. It can be something to watch as they, you know, people watch and see other people talking. It can be a way for people to learn about roleplay in the process. And so performance is just another level of realism, I think. It, it just adds to the realism of the world that to people me, are in. it's just another in-character experience to have. It's just putting yourself in the scenario of today my character is going to a concert or today my character is performing in a concert. Right. And let's think about it even from the perspective of the performer. For the people involved, a lot of performance groups have practices. Sometimes they go on in character. And it's like kind of the journey that also is relevant in this case. But the songs also may mean something to the character and performing it may be like an emotional catharsis if it's a really sad song, for example. It may be, you know, something, it may be an escape for and a character. And certainly these kinds of gatherings are places, for, are places for people to mix in. Exactly. So for the audience too, it's also relevant. So I think personally, I disagree with that objection entirely. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. That's okay. Yeah, sorry, not sorry. You're entitled to your opinion, no matter how wrong it may be. <laughs> At the same time, when you're an event host, you want to do whatever you possibly can to not annoy people, piss people off, get in people's way. We think that at Little Ladies Day, the organizers did the best they could, but that doesn't mean that improvements can't be made. Right. 
And alternatively, because the event had hiccups, that doesn't mean that it shouldn't ever happen again. I think that it's possible for other events to build on those, take the critique that was given, and try to make it better for everybody involved. It doesn't mean that the event went badly, because after all, people enjoyed it. But imagine, what if the next Little Ladies Day had announcements in the yell chat and did the song lyrics and say so it didn't seem like it was spamming the chat as much? Would that be better for the outsiders? And would that also be better for role players? It might be something to experiment with. And I really think that open world events are going to increase with the merged data centers. RP events are happening on every server you can think of because it's possible to travel to a big server or a small server to attend an event. It's like these communities that were previously isolated and had two or three people attend their event. Now they can invite the whole data center and they can have 20, 30 people. But as numbers increase, the chances also increase that some people aren't going to like the event. But even so, I think, it doesn't mean that open world roleplay events, even in big settings, even in these hubs, shouldn't be possible. I think it's entirely possible, but we need to make sure that we're all learning from the previous events and try to find some kind of medium that's good for as many people as possible. May not be everybody, but try to please as many people as possible. I agree. These are public spaces. We should all find a way to coexist. Right. Including with the people who may not necessarily want to participate. But also fun for the people that do. Right. So I think that's all we've got to say on that topic for now. I think that wraps up this episode pretty nicely. I would agree. So why don't we move on with our stories here? So every episode, because we love playing this game so very much, we give an account of something that has happened between the past episode and now, in character, out of character. Doesn't really matter, just has to be FF14 related. Would you like to start or should I? I'm going to start because I'm going to talk about something I'm really, really excited about. I'm super hyped, and I'm talking about Blitzball. Blitzball. We talked about this earlier. Now, I know it's kind of a running joke, a meme for people to post on threads. Blitzball when? When are we getting Blitzball? When are the devs going to give us Blitzball? Guess what? We have Blitzball. It's just RP Blitzball. (laughs) Yeah, the devs didn't give it to us, so we made it ourselves. Well, rather, Menfina Madness, I think for Golden Glory, Golden Glory FC is the people behind this, but... A bunch of role players decided, hey, let's have a Blitzball tournament. So this is actually the second year that they've Not done this. Not only that, somebody made up the mechanics for how to play Blitzball in FF14. Somebody designed a game. Somebody very, very smart. Way smarter than me. And there are a couple of things that I love about this event and RP Blitzball in general. One is just the amazing creativity and game design skill that goes into creating something like this creating a game system for everybody to participate in. And it really just shows what roleplay is all about. It's about using our imaginations to take something that doesn't exist and make it exist. That's like the heart of roleplay. We wanted Blitzball, so we made Blitzball. And that is so impressive to me. It really is. And you know, it's been really entertaining to watch all the games. In total, we had teams from Limsa, Ulda, Gridania, Kugane. Alamigo, Garlemald. Charlayan. The mascots who are secretly for, from Charlayan. Yep. Well, they're they're not Charlayan, but everybody knows it's yeah. Charlayan. <laughs> they're like on the down low. And Ishgard. Oh, oh yeah, Ishgard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ishgard. Ishgard's actually in the semifinals. I'll I'll, I'll give a spoiler. Uldai is and Ishgard is, and you can find out yes. the other two. 
Another one of the things that I love about this event in particular is that it's getting the whole FF14 community involved. Every single team is being sponsored by some content creator in real life. For example, MuseCast14 is the official sponsor of the Old Dog Gale Turtles. Best team. <laughs> Although we're extremely biased. We're, we're so biased. Yeah. Surprising no one, Maelstrom Radio is the sponsor of the Limps and Limits of Black Abyss. And I won't read them all now, but suffice it to say that a lot of support is coming from many corners of the community for what is essentially an RP event. Think about it this way. Everybody is getting involved in an RP event. There was a rally that we couldn't stream. So Phoenix Down Radio streamed it. Like, they streamed an RP event. Like, for just a little while, RP is the cool thing that everyone's doing. And I, <laughs> and I just love learning. that. And I just love that. people are learning and enjoying the process of finding out how these things work. I think that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, and it's, it's so entertaining. It really does combine not just the mechanics of the game, but the personalities of the teams, the personalities of the players. Every team's got their images that they're projecting. They actually wrote up profiles for every single player that you can read. And these are people bringing their existing characters into Blitzball. These are characters that already have fleshed out personalities, backstories that already exist in the community that are now participating as athletes. So you've got webs of intrigue, you've got previous relationships, you've got rivalries. So it's not like people are just carrying out game mechanics like, you know, someone moves here, someone moves there, someone moves there, someone tries to score a goal. They're putting personality into it. And that's half of what makes it so entertaining. I honestly mm -hmm. think that if we had Blitzball implemented by the devs, it would be less entertaining because you wouldn't have that. Honestly, I agree. And the third best thing about the Benfina Madness Tournament is that in addition to being loads of fun, it's raising money for charity. Yeah, this entire event has been this one big effort to raise money for To Write Love on Her Arms. So it's amazing to see all the roleplay community come together. And really, at this point, they have raised the most money of any team for this charity. This is true. And it's for an issue that I believe a lot of people care about. This organization helps people struggling with mental health issues. Addiction, depression, anxiety, self-injury, suicidal thoughts. Something that touches a lot of people and is personal for a lot of people. So I think people really are giving them themselves from their hearts. Whether it's donating mm -hmm. or streaming or supporting. We've streamed every game so far. We've attempted to be good sports commentators. We've attempted to learn all the rules. We've gotten better with time. We've also had a couple of guest commentators who I'll give a shout out to. Um, Isoteco and Roscoe Rackham, who will hopefully continue to join us. They're much closer to the action and are just more involved in the sort of backstory of all these characters. So it's really fascinating to hear them tell the stories. Right. It gives like a more a more intimate knowledge of what exactly is going on. You know, because it's yeah. not just sports. It's like drama. So that's one thing that we've been up to lately. Now, on my end, I think I'm going to try to keep this story a little bit shorter just because we went on for a while about Blitzball, which is amazing. It's awesome. <laughs> um, but I've also been up to some really, really awesome stuff going on on Crystal Data Center, primarily actually on Diabolos. Recently, A Stage Reborn came out with the announcement that auditions for A Midsummer Night's Dream has been going on, and so I'm going to be co-directing that, and so I've just been running around trying to interact with all these people who are getting interested in 
not only the arts in a game, but in FF14 as well. And so we found that there are actually a lot of role players who are interested in a stage reborn, and a lot of people who are trying to take part in it have engaged in, for example, voice RPs and things like that. So it's been extremely interesting to see that people are getting into FF14 while also having prior experience in roleplay on other platforms, or even in FF14 too. So that's been one thing. Another thing that I've been up to recently is um, helping out ushering with another theatrical event that's going on this weekend. Now, I'm not sure when this episode is going to come out, so maybe it'll have happened already, or maybe not. So I'll say this. The production itself is a production of The Little Prince, and I just saw it for the first time today during one of their rehearsals, and it's been amazing. So if it's happened... I hope everybody who came out enjoyed it, but uh, Stelazio Virtual Theater, which has a lot of people who volunteered with the Stage Reborn in the past, they're doing good stuff here. They're doing really, really great stuff and good production value, so it's great to see another theater company playing in FF14 too. It is pretty awesome. Now that it's actually, you know, ready and we're starting to cast, I think a lot of that was helped by all of the writing that I've done for roleplay in the past. Mm. So it's it's really cool to see, like, all the skills that you learn from one thing kind of overlap into yeah, it's another. it's all about creativity. Really is. So that'll be my, my little short story for this episode. Well, I can't forget to remind everybody that if you want to catch all the Blitzfall hype from Menfina Madness, you're definitely going to want to follow our Twitch channel. That's right. You can find our Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash musecastxiv. And while we're at it, let's go into the rest of our social media. You can find more of our MuseCast 14 episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. You can also find us on our website at musecastxiv.com. And you can follow us on social media. We have a lot of them. Our website is hosted through Tumblr, so you can follow us there. You can also follow us on Facebook at musecastxiv. And on Twitter, at MuseCastXIV. We are very, very creative with our naming conventions. We're also on, like, five different podcast platforms now. Yeah. Man, that's a lot, (laughs) now that I think of it. And, of course, you can always join in the conversation, podcast-related or no. We like having a MuseCast14 Discord so that people can get information about, well, roleplay help, lore help, really just kind of chit-chat if they want to, too. It's a really, really happening place, so you can go to our website and find that there. And, of course, you can check us out on Twitch. We already said that, so I will skip into the donation segment. There are a few ways that you can support us here at MuseCast XIV. One of them, of course, is our Patreon, where for a monthly donation, you can get access to things like bonus content, so things that we really wanted to talk about on the show but just didn't have the time to talk about. You can also get access to episodes 24 hours before they come out, which I always think is super cool. Or you can make a one-time donation on our PayPal. For both of those, just go to our website, musecastxiv.com, and click on the shiny blue buttons. And you can also support our Twitch efforts by going to our Twitch page and doing things like donating bits, subscribing to us, all of that. All of the money that we raise on Twitch goes back into the streaming efforts. So it's sort of like a different effort from all of the podcast stuff. But either way, no matter how you decide to donate, we'll be extremely thankful nonetheless. We totally will. In fact, just recently, Emmy had to replace one of her audio parts. 
I did. My interface, which I'd been using for years and years and years, started to go bad. And we actually, because this is the third time that we recorded, that was the reason why. It was skipping out on us. And so while it recorded an entire episode on Remix's part, for me, I would only get 15 minutes or so of audio, and it would skip all around during that. So we're very, very thankful that we were able to get this new shiny interface, and I think it sounds pretty darn yes, good. thanks to our Patreon donors. Yes. So with that, this episode of MuseCast 14 was brought to you by all our Patreon donors and was sponsored with love from our MuseCast sponsor, Hershey. You can find her on social media, including her Twitter, at Hershnefersh, that's at H-E-R-S-H-N-I-F-E-R-S-H, or you can check out her FF14 and Variety stream at twitch.tv slash same thing there, H-E-R-S-H-N-I-F-E-R-S-H. Thank you, Hershey, and especially thank you to all of our Patreon donors for this episode. Yes. Go watch Hershey beat Baldizi in Arsenal, because my ass is not beating Baldizi in Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't think mine is either. No. And I wanted to also add, if you want to find out more about this awesome Blitzball tournament that's going on, you can go to menfinamadness.org. That's M-E-N-P-H-I-N-A, madness.org, and find out all the ways you can donate to Trey Love on Her Arms. One of the coolest things is that you can donate in the name of your favorite team. That just adds an element of fun to it. You can make a flat donation. You can make a donate. Or you can make a pledge based on how many goals your team scores. And, you know, there's a little bit of friendly competition going on. Last time I checked, Ishkar was in the lead with the most donors. By a mile. Yeah, come on, <laughs> old Ons. The Crucible has really been stepping it up in terms of their... In terms of their fundraising efforts. Yeah, come on, old Dons. We know, we know you got the money. <laughs> We're just stingy. <laughs> oh. We should also tease our next episode. Oh, that's right. I almost forgot. What is our next episode? I'm super hyped for this one, too. It's going to be about RP combat. Ooh. So, like, all the combat systems in Yeah. It? There are so many systems that we've discovered in our research... Everything from competing random dice rolls to adaptations of D&D to completely original systems, entire PDFs that should be in a book on tabletop somewhere that you would not believe the complexity of. We've just learned so much and I feel like such an idiot <laughs> when I read these systems and I can't do the math. But we're going to teach you all about the different combat systems that you can use either to spar against your friends or fight the bad guys. Whether it's in-game or even out-of-game. Yeah, of as long game. as your character wants to fight, this episode is for you. Please look Please forward do. to it. And with that, dear listeners, we will leave you until next time. Yep. See you next time. Thanks for listening to MuseCast 14. Tune in next time when we'll be discussing roleplay combat. Happy adventuring, and may you ever walk in the light of the crystal.